0: Um so very quickly uh let me let me kind of reorient us to where we are in the midst of this sermon series right now. Um I you know what I'll do is at the beginning of the year I'll start taking a look at different parts of scripture that I'd love to highlight. And one of the one of the things that I I do as I start thinking about that is I start thinking, you know, what parts of scripture for whatever reason in our particular uh cultural or historical or ecclesiastical context what sections of Scripture just get avoided, you know what I mean, for whatever reason. And, uh, and so in our particular tradition, um, one of the things that gets avoided is anything that feels overly directive. Does that make sense? Like anything that sounds bossy or micromanagerial or anything like that gets avoided in our context because we, we like to talk about the nuance of things. We like to discuss things in a very ethereal or philosophical way. And, uh, and so one of the things that I realized that I just don't hear uh, preached very often um, in, the, in our particular tradition, again, is the Ten Commandments. Because by definition, the Ten Commandments are incredibly directive, right? I mean, the Ten Commandments are essentially saying, do it like this. You know, God gave these to Moses and said, Moses, take these to the people and uh, let them know this is the framework for how society, for culture, uh, for human interaction needs to operate. And, uh, and essentially what we did is the very first week, uh, I sort of uh, talked about a section in scripture where we have recorded uh, Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments, really. And the way that Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments wasn't, hey, here's this big list of things to do. You know, you better do it or watch out. But rather the way that Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments is he said, essentially, the first half of the Ten Commandments teach us how to love God, right? I mean, there's like, what's wrong with that? You know, here's how God desires us to treat him. Here's how God desires for us to show love to him. You know, anybody who's in a marital relationship, you know that it's absolutely appropriate for the wife to tell the husband, hey, you know, you can get me uh, vanilla, a vanilla cake for my birthday, but I'd really rather have chocolate, right? You know, you can buy me uh, fancy, shiny clothes from some fancy store, but I'd really just rather have workout stuff, you know, for my birthday. You know, in other words, we get to establish to some degree how it is that we want to be loved, and, and God does that in the first half of the Ten Commandments. Now, we've covered those for the last four weeks. Today, we're entering into the second half of those 10 commandments. Jesus, in that same conversation, summarized the second half of the 10 commandments by saying, the second half of the 10 commandments aren't just this big to-do list that limits your freedom, but rather, the second half of the 10 commandments teach us how to love our fellow man. Teach us how to love each other, right? I mean, this is important. It's good to know how to do that. And so, very quickly, we're gonna be talking about uh, honoring your father and mother today and so totally unplanned i didn't know that this was martha palooza or mountain day or whatever and there'd be students and and uh and parents here um, in fact if i'd known that we probably wouldn't have had the seating issues we did today um, so it just worked out that way but what's interesting about this commandment honor your father and mother is it's uh it's usually viewed in a very narrow and very simple sense but one of the things that happens as you, as you back away from this commandment and as you look at the Ten Commandments as a whole, what you see about this commandment, about honoring your father and mother, that ultimately it's about protecting authority throughout the entire world that God has created because it's the starting point. It's the foundation for the way that people view authority. And, uh, and what's interesting is you back your way up through the rest of these, uh, the last six commandments, we see that the uh, the commandment number six Uh, Commandment number six is that you should not murder, you shall not murder. And that that's really uh, a commandment that's about protecting the sanctity of all human life, right? We see that uh, the the seventh commandment, that you should not commit adultery, is about the sanctity of protecting marriage. We see that uh, the the eighth commandment is about protecting the sanctity of of personal and private property. We see that thou shalt not uh, lie or bear false witness is about protecting the sanctity of the truth. And we see that the 10th commandment, which is thou shalt not covet, is really about protecting the sanctity of your own heart. And so there's so much here. I mean, there's so much amazing depth and truth in these 10 commandments. They're not simply a to-do list, but rather they're a reflection of God's character. They're a picture of the framework that, uh, that God has painted for all of humanity. And at the end of the day, uh, as I keep mentioning over and over again, they drive us back to Jesus because we realize just how frequently and uh, how deeply we have failed in keeping the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm going to read uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, which are the two statements of this uh, Fifth Commandment. And so follow along with me, if you will, and then we'll pray. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of, The Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've called us into this place this morning. I thank you that your word makes it clear that uh, there is no such thing as an accident, but rather uh, you are a God who rules over your creation. And so, Father, the people that are in this room this morning are here uh, because you've invited them into this place, into your presence. Father, into the presence of your word, into the presence of your worship, and into the presence of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Father, as always, I want to ask that you wouldn't let anyone leave this place this morning without having had an encounter with you, the living God. Father, I pray that you would be here uh, through the presence of your Holy Spirit and that you would move in our hearts and in our minds. We pray these things now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, so uh, one uh, one of the movies that I saw when I was a kid that wasn't a horror movie, but still had a deeply profound and weird impact upon me was the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? You know what I'm talking about. So bizarre. Anyway, you know, it came out in 1971, the movie did, Uh, And uh, there was a a follow-up movie in 2005 that was done by Tim Burton. But it's, of course, based on a book by a man named Roald Dahl. Some of you are familiar with different works of his. He did James and the Giant Peach. But it's a fantastic story. It's very whimsical. It's very freaky. And I think it's very intentionally uh, disturbing. And I think the reason it's disturbing is because I think what Roald Dahl was attempting to do was he was attempting to communicate a truth to children, right? And the truth that he was trying to communicate to children was if you don't obey and honor your parents, you will get stuck in a giant tube that sucks chocolate out of a chocolate river, right? And so all of a sudden, kids see Augustus Gloop stuck in the tube, and they're like, mom and dad, I'm obeying you from here on out, right? Now, let me introduce you to some of the characters really quickly here, just to take you down a a walk through memory lane. And I've got pictures from both the 2005 version and the 1971 version. So depending on your age range, you will have different affinity for different pictures. Let's start off with Augustus Gloop, who I just mentioned. Now, if you guys remember Augustus Gloop, uh, he was a German boy whose dad was a butcher, and he loved chocolate. And so he ate so much chocolate that eventually he found a golden ticket. He's the guy that got sucked up in the, the chocolate tube. Let's go to the next picture of him. This is the picture of 1971, Augustus Gloop. By the way, one of the things that's neat is if you Google uh, an image search for all of these characters, it not only shows you the characters from 1971, but it tells you what they shows you what they look like now too. Pretty funny. Anyway, you might want to check those out. On your free time. Anyway, next one. He. Let me tell you, age is not always kind to me or to Augustus. Anyway, Veruca Salt. You guys remember Veruca? And uh, Veruca was an incredibly spoiled, rotten, horrible little British girl whose dad owned a nut factory. This is a picture of her um, inside Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory singing the song where she says, I want it now. And she wants uh, an egg or the goose that lays the golden egg. And she gets sort of sucked down this trash chute, okay? So again, disobedient and uh, horribly disrespectful to her father. Next person up is Violet Beauregard. Now, what's interesting about Violet Beauregard is that she's from Atlanta, Georgia, right? And so, what we have is uh, at least Tim Burton's uh, perspective on what a little girl from Atlanta, Georgia might be like. And she's a competitive gum chewer. Uh, She's the girl that chews the gum that has the three-course meal in it. And at the end, it's blueberry pie or something, and she turns into a giant blueberry. Again, one of the scenes from my childhood that absolutely freaked me out. You know, I mean, like, I was so concerned that if I ate the wrong thing, I might poof up like her, troubling for children. Anyway, last thing is you guys remember Mike, Mike TV, maybe? Now, what's interesting is in Roald Dahl's book, he's a kid that sits around and watches so much TV. His parents have arrived at this assumption that um, you know that TV is a good babysitter, and it's perfect. They know where he is, he's safe, et cetera, et cetera. So he watches TV all day, but he likes watching uh, shoot-em-up kind of Westerns. Now, in the 2005 version, and that's him from 1971. I just, yeah, I remember that character so vividly. Anyway, but in the 2005 version, he's a kid that plays video games constantly. And they're all, they're all these 1st person 'em up video games type things. And, uh, and again, so he's just terrible, disobeys, and he gets sucked into this TV world thing and as disobedient and dishonorable to his father. Now, the last uh, character in the book is the little guy named Charlie Bucket, who's this sweet-looking little guy. I don't remember the actor's name. And uh, and essentially, you guys, if you're familiar with the book or any of the movies, what happens is that uh, Roald Dahl places him in this interesting context. Uh, he is uh, the child of a, of a pretty poor family, and his parents are together, and they're wonderful, and they're nice, you know, kind people. And in the middle of their hovel, and their home really is a hovel. There's a you know a large either queen or king sized bed, and uh, both sets of his grandparents are there. And so what he gets to experience as this young person is seeing his mom and dad take care of both of their aging parents. And in the, in the movie and in the books, Charlie is respectful, and he's honorable towards his parents and his grandparents, and uh, he's obedient. And obviously what Roald Dahl is trying to get you to do is to sympathize with Charlie Bucket and go, hey, this is, this is a good kid. You're pulling for this kid to win because he honors his father and mother. Here's Charlie Bucket from 1971 with the golden ticket. Now, again, uh, you know, as I read through the, the Wikipedia pages for, uh, you know, for Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the IMBD you know, movie pages, and as I watched through the, the various movies to get ready even for this illustration, one of the things that struck me, or I began to think, is I, I thought, you know, I wonder if Roald Dahl, the author, I wonder if he was a Christian. You know, I wonder if he was a Christian and he was trying to paint a picture like of the of the seven deadly sins. There were some write-ups, you know, online about that. Or, or I wonder if he was a Christian and he was trying to use this as an analogy to train kids to honor uh, their father and mother. Well, it turns out that he, he, he wasn't a Christian, unfortunately. In fact, he was an atheist, which in some respects makes the truth that we see in the movie that much more poignant because here's a man who is basically, he's created a parable. And the message of his parable is this. He's contrasting good children with bad children. And, and his message is this, bad children disobey and dishonor their parents. And as a result, they experience suffering, right? This is where parents can elbow their children, right? You can either do it physically or metaphorically, but you can elbow them the second part of his uh, of of his you know sort of parable here is that good children on the other hand obey their parents they honor them and they respect them and as a result they experience blessing now i want to start off by asking a question and the question is this is that true uh, is it true period does the bible embrace it is it is it simply something that is born out uh, you know really in real life that good kids Uh, Experiencing blessings, experience blessings, and bad kids who dishonor their parents don't. Well, let me read again uh, verse 12 of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Let me read verse 16. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Seems to say that there is long life associated with honoring your father and mother. Look at verse 16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long. There it is again. And that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, as you read the Ten Commandments, as you read the Fifth Commandment, you should be left asking the question, what does it mean to honor my father and mother? What does it mean for me as as an eight-year-old? What does it mean for me as a college student to honor my father and mother? What does it mean for me as a single adult to honor my father and mother? What does it mean for me as a 55-year-old raising children of my own to honor my aging parents? What does that mean to honor your father and mother? And let me throw out a couple quick bits and pieces of exegesis. The first is this, is that the word honor is taken from the Hebrew word kabod, which is this word that means heavy or weighty, right? And so the idea behind that word, between on, behind honoring your parents, is that you give them weight, right? That you look at them, you treat them with respect, at least in principle, hopefully in practice. But you look at them and you give them weight, you give them respect. And the reason you do that is because they are part of God's authority structure for the world, for human life, for culture, for society, right? And again, that's part of what I talked about a little bit at the very beginning when I said that this commandment, honoring to honor your father and mother, is actually the framework, it's the subfloor for all of the other six last commandments. Because essentially, this is a commandment which says and tells us to honor authority, whether that's the authority of the government, or it's the authority of your boss, or it's the authority of your coach. It all starts here with honoring the authority of your father and mother. What about the particulars? What does it mean to honor your father and mother? So my first point is this, is that I believe that honoring your father and mother uh, means obeying them. So we're gonna read Ephesians chapter six, verses one through three. This is of course Paul uh, communicating to the Ephesian church there. And here's what he says. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's a pretty important qualifier. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, the first thing we see here is that Paul is writing this letter. And the way that letters were written uh, in the New Testament is they were written to individual churches. This one was going to the Ephesians church. And so what's interesting is usually uh, what would happen is that whoever the leadership of that church would be, when they received a letter from one of the apostles... They would actually read it, you know, in the living room of the house they were meeting in or the public space they were meeting in. They would read the letter. And so, what's interesting is that as Paul writes this, he writes, technon in the Greek, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So, Paul is assuming that as the leadership of this church reads this letter, that children are going to be listening to this being read. And so, Paul's writing this letter to children. And so, all of a sudden, Every single one of you young people in the room, whether, again, you're six, seven, eight, 10, or 11, you need to understand that this is for you, that Paul was writing this for you 2,000 years ago. He's expecting that you would hear this being read. I'm expecting that you hear it being preached today. The second thing we see in this passage is that for Paul, obedience is synonymous with honoring your father and mother. He's assuming, well, of course, you would obey your parents. That's how you honor your father and mother. But the question needs to be, uh, who is this for? And for our purposes, what we'll say today is that uh, the people that still need to obey their father and mother uh, are people who aren't independent yet. Does that make sense? And so if you're under the, the financial oversight of your parents, if you're still living in your home, uh, then you still have to obey your parents. However, if you're financially independent, if you're governing yourself, if you're a single adult or if you're married, uh, then you don't actually have to obey your parents anymore. We'll get around to your responsibilities later, but this is primarily for young people who are still living in their family's home. And uh, what Paul is saying, you need to obey your father and mother. And he goes on to say that there's actually a challenge or there's an incentive uh, that's listed in here. He lists two. The first one is this. He says, so that it may go well with you. And what Paul is saying there is he is saying, guess what? When you obey your mom and dad, it just goes well with you. And that's what the whole book of Proverbs is all about. I read uh, Proverbs several years back to our kiddos. um, And as I read it, um, there were certain themes that came up. And one of the themes that came up was, guess what, kids? If you obey your parents, life is just going to be better for you. It just is. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't kids that get sick. It doesn't mean that there aren't kids that get diseases. It doesn't mean that there aren't kids where there are extenuating circumstances. But what this means is that, generally speaking... If you obey your parents, young people, then life's just better for you. And, and honestly, I don't know about you guys, but I want my life to be better. You should want your life to be better as well. The second half of this verse says, not only that life will be better for you, but also that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so essentially what Paul's saying to the young people is he's saying, look, if you obey your parents, then life's gonna be better for you. You're gonna get more of what you want and it's gonna be happier for you but it's also gonna be a long life for you. You're gonna live longer and you're gonna live a better life, right? Now, just think about it for a second. I want you to think about all the things your parents tell you, all the directives they give you to obey. They tell you to eat your fruits and vegetables, right? Eat your fruits and vegetables, right? And more often than not, what kids want is pasta and macaroni and cheese and chicken fingers. Like when you go to the store, you get those chicken fingers at the restaurant or whatever. And, uh, and what's interesting is if we actually obeyed our parents when they told us to eat our fruits and vegetables, it's amazing the health benefits that would come from just eating our fruits and vegetables, right? We'll get to those in a minute. When your parents tell you not to smoke, right? You know, you know how much money smoking costs? I'm, and it's, by the way, smoking is not a sin, I'm just here to tell you. It's bad, but it's not a sin, so I want to be careful about that. Uh, but bad things come from, from smoking. Cancer comes from smoking, right? Uh, hypertension, not that eight-year-olds know what hypertension is. There's all sorts of bad stuff that comes from smoking. Your parents tell you, to get enough sleep, to go to bed early. There's all sorts of new research on the physiological benefits of all of these things. Get enough exercise, et cetera, et cetera, You know, if we just limited this conversation to children obeying their parents in all those ways, then all of a sudden scurvy would go way down, right? As would constipation and rickets, you know, and other more serious diseases like heart disease, depression, high blood pressure, cancer, The list goes on and on. The point is, is that when we obey our parents, not only do good things happen, not only is life better for us, but we also are more likely to live a longer life. Now, let me ask a couple qualifying questions here. And again, different points, different of you in this room are at different points. But uh, one of the questions would be, well, what if my parents, what if they're not Christians or what if my parents are bad people? And what if they ask me to do something that's wrong or sinful? Do I still have to obey them? Well, the good news is there's a Bible verse that covers that. In Acts chapter five, verse 25, we're told this, we must obey God rather than men. And so we have a, a scripture verse that says you do have to obey your parents unless they tell you to do something that's a sin or contradicts uh, something that God has told you somewhere else in scripture. And then you actually have the right to disobey. That's tricky, your parents might not like, might not like it, but we're, uh, we're told in scripture that you got to obey God, that your fidelity is first and foremost to him. What about this? What if my parents forbid me from being a Christian? What if they say, no, you may not become a Christian? Do I still have to obey them? That's not as common in our culture, but it's incredibly common in other cultures that, that, that people are really given that directive. Here's again a piece of scripture that informs this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying your ultimate fidelity needs to be to God the Father, right, more so than to your parents. And there are times where he's speaking hyperbolically here, and symbolically he's not saying for you to really hate your parents. But what he's saying is hyperbolically your faithfulness to God should, should trump every other bit of faithfulness in your entire life, even faithfulness to your father and mother. Finally, what about if your parents command you to do something and one of your parents is abusive? You know, One of the things that I hated thinking about as I worked through this sermon is I thought, what about kids that are growing up in a home with parents who are verbally abusive or are emotionally abusive or physically abusive? Uh, some of those kids grow up believing that they should Continue to obey their parents in that context, and all I can tell you, those of you who maybe have grown up in that situation, is is again, it's a complicated situation. I would ask for you maybe to seek help. You know, maybe come and talk up to me, talk to me afterwards. Go to someone else who's somebody you can trust. Go and seek their advice and their opinion. And even when you can't obey them specifically because of an abusive situation, you can still seek to honor your father and mother, uh, even when they've been abusive. Now, again, this commandment is for normal situations. You know, and I went over some of those qualifications. And again, uh, what I can say pretty clearly is that you're to honor your father and mother, you're to honor your parents by being obedient to them. And as you do so, I can almost promise, I can almost guarantee that your life will not only be long, but that it'll be so much better than if you don't. Let's look at the second point here. The second point here is that honoring our father and mother not only looks like obeying them, but it also looks like seeking and heeding and remembering their wise counsel. I'm going to read a couple, uh, three verses from Proverbs here, three sections from Proverbs. The first is taken from Proverbs 1. Now, again, some people have argued that the book of Proverbs was written really to educate boys in the synagogue school. And so if you hear gender-specific language, know that it still applies to, to boys and girls, to men and women. Uh, But here's verse eight and nine of Proverbs 1. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. We'll come back to that in a minute. Listen to the words of Proverbs 4. Listen, my sons, and by implication, daughters, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching, And then Proverbs 30, which is a warning about not following your parents' counsel and advice, which I think we need to hear as well. The eye that mocks a father that scorns an aged mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley will be eaten by the vultures. All right, you can laugh at that a little bit. It's true, uh, but I wanted to put it in there to sort of emphasize that there are actually blessings and cursings that come from heeding our parents' counsel, from listening to their wisdom. So here's the deal. So honoring your parents isn't simply limited to obedience because at some point you're going to be independent, right? It's it's not simply limited to obedience because at some point you're going to leave and cleave to your wife or leave and cleave to your husband. At some point in time, your parents are going to be dead. But we are told, however, that we should constantly seek and heed and remember their wisdom and their wise counsel. And with with the, the same way that with the command to obey our parents, this command to seek and heed our parents' wisdom also comes with an incentive. In this case, the incentive is they're a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. In other words, if you give heed to, if you seek out, if you remember the counsel and your parents' wisdom, that even when you don't have to obey them anymore, their advice and their wisdom will make you beautiful and will make you attractive. You know, it's, again, interesting to have read through the Proverbs and see how often, whether it was Solomon or one of the other writers of the Proverbs, how one of the truths that came out over and over again was that if you listen to your parents' wisdom, if you give heed to their counsel, that that by doing so, you'll become beautiful. You'll be attractive to the people that you live around in the world. You'll be even more attractive to yourself. We should heed their wise counsel. Here's a couple ways in which this might look. You know, I don't have to obey my parents anymore because I've left and cleft for the most part and seeking to do so still. Uh, but one of the things that I do regularly with, uh, with my dad is whenever I have car trouble, the first phone call I make is to my dad. You know, hey dad, my car is smoking and there's fire coming out of the hood. What should I do? You know, uh, recently the 2000 Camry with lots of miles on it, uh, when I've been getting out of it, I smell gasoline. I could be wrong, but I think that was maybe a bad thing. And so, who do I call? My dad. Dad, what do I do? And what's great is my dad actually knows about cars, and so he's able to say what well, might be this or it might be that, or pull out a fire extinguisher. You know, that might be your next step. But I tell you what happens when I call my dad and I honor him by seeking his counsel and seeking his advice. Two things happen. One, I'm better off for it, right? Because he's lived a lot longer than I have. He's experienced a lot more things. And I hate to tell you this, young people in the room, but your parents, whether they're Christians or not Christians. They're just right most of the time. They really are. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell my kids all the time, like, I know your parents are bugging you. I know they're all over. You know, they're being really critical. But you need to understand, they're just right 95% of the time. They just are. And my dad's just right most of the time, a lot of the time. But what also happens when I call him up and make that phone call is it honors him, right? Because his son still cares about him. His son is still seeking his wisdom. His son is still seeking his advice. He still holds a position of importance for his son. And I think my dad loves it when I call him with all those questions. He loves it when I call and, uh, and when we get a chance to chat about those things. Here's another story. Uh, this summer, I spent two weeks out in Spokane, Washington with a buddy of mine. And uh, this buddy of mine is probably one of the top three or four smartest people I know. And uh, he's a professor uh, teaching uh, theology at, at a college out there. And uh, I've told the story about him before, but he actually lost about $300,000 um, when the stock market crashed back in uh, March of 2000. And, uh, and it was an incredibly difficult experience for he and his wife and uh, for his family in lots of different ways. And as we were actually recounting this experience when I was out in Spokane, uh, I asked him kind of how he was doing with that whole thing. Because as a professor, some of you may not know this, uh, but you don't make lots of money, right? So losing $300,000 is a big deal. And he said, you know, he said, honestly, he said, it's been so hard to go through that um, for lots of different reasons that I won't go into right now. But he said, I wouldn't wish it away. And he said, the reason I wouldn't wish it away is because when I invested that money with someone who was my friend and acquaintance that I graduated from college with, he said, my dad told me, hey, you probably don't want to invest $300,000 with your buddy who just graduated from college. And, uh, And my friend who, again, you know, as is the temptation with people who are very intelligent, basically blew his dad off, didn't do what he said, and instead went ahead and invested his money with this, you know, young guy that he graduated with and lost all $300,000. And my buddy, uh, who again is out in Spokane, Washington, made this point. He said, it was a really hard lesson to learn, but he said, I'll never forget it and I'm glad I had to learn it. And he said, the lesson that God taught me through that is that I need to heed my parents' advice and counsel, and I was foolish not to do it, and as a result, I'm the one that ended up suffering. I'm the one that ended up losing out. And so let me let me roll down a couple of different applications for what this might look like. I'm not arguing that you should have a codependent relationship with uh, your father or with your mother. I think that's unhealthy. Go read some good psychology books on it. Come and talk to me. That's unhealthy, so don't do that. And that's not what I'm arguing for. But what I am saying is is that in normal situations that we should seek and give weight to our parents' wisdom. So if you're under 18 in the room this morning, one of the ways that you could do that is you could actually talk to your parents and you could ask them, you could say, hey, what do you wish you had known when you were 17 like me? You know, what what do you wish, what's one thing you wish you had known when you were a kid? Just ask them and sit back and listen. And because your parents are right 95% of the time, I guarantee you if you sit back and listen and really give credence and weight to your parents' wisdom, you'll probably hear some great things and you'll be glad that you did. What about for those of you in the room that are college students today? One of the things I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to seek your parents' wisdom and direction on what you should major in, right? I mean, literally, you should go to your parents and you're at a point where obeying them, hopefully they won't require you maybe to obey uh, them in that. But if you ask them that question, you know, what do you think I should major in? What do you think I should study? What do you think a career for me should be? I guarantee you, 95% of the time, they're gonna give you really good advice. And it's very possible that when you're 35, you'll look back and go, man, I really wish I had been a business major because I'm needing money right now. And I'm glad that I'm teaching junior high, but it'd be nice if I could afford to buy a minivan that wasn't 12 years old. Anyway, listen to your parents. Last thing. For adults in the room, uh, I would encourage you who are adults in the room, call up your parents and ask them about parenting or about saving money or ask them a question about aging and sit back and listen to what they have to say because I guarantee you more often than not, 95% of the time, they're loaded with wisdom that, uh, that we'd be foolish not to listen to. Last thing, the last thing we see in terms of honoring our father and mother is that we honor our father and mother as we care for them. Listen to the words of 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 and 4 and 7 and 8. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. In other words, what what Paul is doing here as he talks to Timothy is he's saying one of the applications of honoring your father and mother is as they age in the same way that they took care of you physically and emotionally and spiritually when you were a child, as they age, as you honor them, you're to do that by caring for them. Listen to verses 7 and 8. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, again, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, if you don't take care of your own parents and grandparents, your own family, then you're, you're, you're worse than somebody who's an apostate. You're worse than somebody who's turned their back on God. Now, let me tell you this. This is a tricky one. And I tell you, the reason it's tricky to honor our father and mothers, our fathers and mothers by caring for them as they age is because, A, it's really expensive. B, we've got social security. C, we've got nursing homes. And D, Many of us have grown up in homes with abusive parents. Again, emotional abuse, physical abuse, abuse of all different types of ways. How in the world can you stand here this morning, BP, and tell me to take care of that parent who offended me, who hurt me, who is abusive to me? That's just, that's crazy, right? That, that's just, that's way too much to ask. Let me, Let me share with you guys a story that I read online as I was preparing for this. Now, there's a woman named Joyce Meyer who is a, uh, a, a female preacher slash motivational speaker and psychologist. And I'm not necessarily recommending that you listen to her or embrace what she says. I don't really know the content of what she teaches, so I, I can't really argue for that. Um, but what I, what I do know this is this, is that I read a great story, um, and I read it in various different sources, that she uh, actually, in one of her speaking engagements, was talking about how she now is taking care of her aging parents. And I thought, well, that's really great. Joyce Meyer, that you're doing that. That's, that's good, right? It's good that you talk about that. But she went on to talk more about this in her biography. And in her biography, she said, what's amazing um, about me being able to physically care for and emotionally care for and spiritually care for my parents is the fact that I grew up in an abusive home. And she said um, that my father was abusive um, to me, towards me, uh, and towards the rest of my family until I was 18 years old and moved out. Now, I'm not gonna go into the nuts and bolts or the particulars of his abuse, but let me just tell you, that, uh, that it would be challenging for anyone to, to turn around and try to honor their father and mother when they endured the things that she endured. And, and what made it worse is that she said that her mother actually knew and observed and saw any number of these different things going on in their household over the years, and she turned her back and, uh, and was silent and didn't seek to protect her daughter. Now, this is a horrible story, but it really highlights this very point Several years ago, and I can't remember because I didn't read the entire bi- biography, but several different years ago, several years ago, Joyce Meyer uh, came to a point where she realized that she really needed to extend forgiveness to her father who'd abused her and to her mother who had turned her back on her. And so she said it was one of the hardest things she ever did to just forgive them. But she said then what she sought to do was she sought to care for her parents. And so she, she all of a sudden put her father into a home and not only put him in a home, but she she paid for it, and she went to visit him. And she extended forgiveness to him even before he had asked for forgiveness. And she extended the same care of her own money and her own time and her own energy to provide and to take care of her mother, who had turned her back on her when she needed her most. And it was this amazing picture of her honoring her father and mother, even when they had been abusive to her. She sought to care for them. Now, Again, I don't want to stand up here and, and, and tritely tell you to care for your aging parents if they were abusive, because I'm very fortunate. I have great, a great mom and dad who were very kind to me. And so I understand that even asking you to do that is incredibly difficult. And so I'm not going to be the one to ask you to do it. I'm going to simply point you to scripture and, and ask that the spirit works in your heart to give you guidance on what that would look like. But I will say that I'm sure, and am pretty sure that it's clear that the three things I've talked about this morning, that honoring your father and mother means obeying them up to a point, that honoring your father and mother means seeking and heeding and remembering their wise counsel, and that honoring your father and mother means uh, taking care of our aging uh, parents uh, as they need us later on in their lives. Now, let me just tell you, I can always tell when my voice gets weak that I've been preaching too long. because my voice gets, It's not because I'm about to cry, it's because my voice is getting hoarse. And so this means I've gone too long. Um, And so let me stop here for a second and say, there are lots of other ways in which we could talk about this from scripture. We could talk about accepting discipline. That's what Hebrews talks about. We could talk about honoring all God-given authority. We could talk about the blessings and the curses involved in honoring our parents. We We could do all those things. But at some point in time, every single sermon that I preach has to end with the question, what about Jesus, right? What about Jesus? Because I don't know if you've noticed it, but I don't think I've mentioned Jesus yet. Maybe I did and wasn't noticing it. But there's something in being Christians that should make what we're talking about this morning different, right? Because I don't think I've said anything yet that a good Jew or Muslim or somebody else wouldn't agree with and go, yeah, take care of your parents. That's all right and good. What makes Jesus different for us? Now, a couple of different things. Again, I mentioned at the very beginning that this paints a, the 10 commandments paint a picture of the world that we wish really existed. The other things the Ten Commandments do is they drive us to Jesus because as we go through the Ten Commandments, specifically this commandment today, hopefully in all sorts of ways you've realized how you haven't been obedient to your parents. Hopefully in all sorts of ways you've realized how you haven't actually given heed or sought out their wisdom or you haven't provided and cared for your aging parents. Hopefully each of you has reached a point this morning where you go, yeah, I probably have broken the Fifth Commandment either when I was young or even today. And so what this commandment does is it should drive us to Jesus. And let me remind you that Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't done himself. Jesus was obedient to earthly parents, even though he was God. Listen to the words of Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52 that tell us this. Then he, meaning Jesus, went down to Nazareth with his parents, with them, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. The reason she treasured them is because the God of the universe submitted himself to parental authority. And then verse 52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. In other words, God, in his infinite wisdom and his his infinite power, subjected himself to earthly parents and obeyed them. If Jesus, who was God, was willing to do that, how much more so should we be willing to subject ourselves to the authority of of our earthly parents as well. But that's not all. Jesus honored and obeyed his earthly parents, but ultimately he honored his heavenly father. Listen to the words of Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God, Thee, of God, His Father. Let's take one moment now and let's pray. Father, I thank you um, that as we read through the Ten Commandments, you're painting a picture of the world that we actually wish existed. Father, I thank you that as we read through the Ten Commandments, um, we reach a point of realizing just how how much we have failed in keeping these commandments. And Father, I pray that rather than becoming hopeless, uh, Father, that instead we would be hopeful as we remember that the reason that Jesus came wasn't to give us good advice, but rather the reason that Jesus came was to give us good news, the good news that he has obeyed uh, not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the directives that his Father gave us on our behalf, And so, Father, Jesus did what we couldn't do, so let our trust and our hope and our faith and encouragement come from knowing that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law on our behalf, exactly and precisely where we failed. And so, Father, we pray these things today in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.